The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. Yeah, man. So I want to ask you, why do people write poetry? What 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 is poetry, Stephen? Okay, great question. Um, well, for me, I feel like a lot of times people write poetry because you know they've got something to say. Uh, but then, of course, that you get a little these people that you know they want to they not only have something to say but they i think they want to impact the world because it's it's something that's important so maybe it's a little bit more didactic but i feel like the the best poetry comes from the the heart and it's just kind of like i feel this about the world and i see this about the world and i want to express it and it's is it for the the author or is it for the 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 viewer or the reader or the the listener you know what do you think well, I think it could go for both, right? I think it's um, a lot of people write poetry um, to express themselves, right? And to some people do it just because they like tinkering around, like they like to play with words and words are fun, right? Like um, they can be really fun. So, but I think that there's also, uh, whether it's um, conscious or not, there's this desire to to communicate deep feelings with others, right? Like, uh, or personal experience with others. And, you know, we, we if we do that, um, like let's say at a pub or in a public sphere or even at, at the, the house, right? The problem with conversation is people always wanna interrupt, right? People always wanna give their two cents. They wanna respond. They feel obligated to respond. And I think sometimes the greatest therapy is just, letting someone spill their guts and just being silent. And so this is the beauty of the page, right? It doesn't talk back to you. It doesn't interrupt you. It allows you to just go into that state of flow and just let it all out, you know, like diaries. They're like diaries are one of the most therapeutic uh, processes out there, like writing a diary, right? Because like I said, like humans are very social and they want to share their ideas and they always feel like they need to, to respond and this what happens is this kind of like interrupts the the flow of 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 inner thought and emotional expression and so i think i think that's why people do it man i think that's why because they they do do it partially for themselves but deep down inside we all want to be heard we all want we feel we have something to offer the world and uh poetry is uh, i think the vessel for that right it's it's the vessel to share deep deep thoughts and emotions yeah i love what you said there and i do agree with that because it's it's it can be like a monologue and you're right you have this precious space you're uninterrupted uh it's it's respected valued on that piece of paper because no one is really going to criticize you and then people receive it and then they can decide to, uh, to engage with it or, or respond to how they, how they feel fit. Right. Um, and I, I feel like poetry as well, like everyone's scared of poetry. I know I was scared of poetry because I wasn't taught poetry uh, effectively. I think I'm going to mute you because you're, you're getting a bit of feedback, but I feel like, you know, if it's, it's poetry, isn't um, this complete enigma enigma it's not this puzzle it's it's just it's really simple as as you said someone putting together their their thoughts and their ideas and their opinions uh but i also feel like the best poets are quite insightful like they've got they've got this wisdom or awareness and they've got um there's something about the world that they see that they want to share 
And they've chosen to put it through this particular medium because maybe it's, it's just not, it's not as boring, it's more creative and they can get to play with it. Um, Emily Dickinson's got this poem called um, Hope is a Thing with Feathers. And that's the name of the, po the poem. And there's, there's this whole extended metaphor about hope and, and um, how hope really is a bird, but she never uses the word bird. She, never didn't, she doesn't say hope is a bird. She says is a thing with feathers. And it just allows you to kind of fill the gaps. It allows you to kind of create this imagery. And then it allows you to have all these connotations towards the feather, right? And I think that's, that's really cool. Um, so it, like if you're, you have to be a craftsman when you write poetry. And um, bro, I taught myself poetry completely. And I taught myself how to teach poetry. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. But yeah, there's definitely craftsmanship. Yeah, it's associated there. So I'm sorry for muting you, but I'm finished. Yeah, no problem. Um, no, I hear you. I think there is some, I can hear the, my computer, this old computer is kind of the fans pretty loud. Uh, hopefully while I'm speaking, it isn't uh, producing feedback or whatnot. And I'll just pause myself and you'll know. John, um, your voice is like poetry to me, Barry, so um, just keep going. <laughs> uh, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. So I'm really stoked. I love poetry. And like you said, craftsmanship, it's it's such, uh, you know, it takes such fine tuning. I know that there's a lot of different types of poetry, right? You can write free verse, you can write form. Um, uh, there's all sorts of forms. But the, uh, the, th the truth is, is that poetry, like you said, is scary, right? Like it's this really dense uh it's intimidating man and like some people think poetry is dead man like it's a thing of the past but i don't think so man like you can hear rappers trying to cling on to it and they don't do most rappers don't do a good job of like craftsmanship right they're doing it for like money and they're trying to like do shock shock poetry or whatever uh you know but the i it's it's definitely to me is it's not dead at all i think that it's just been uh sitting back watching the world uh change and go by and it's ready to rise again i really do feel that um but this craftsmanship right it takes a specific individual to be able to write poetry and to read poetry in such a fast-paced world you know what i'm saying like there's too many distractions now you know if you know not too long ago everybody loved poetry because it was like something you could do at night near a candle you know everybody's winding down there's no tvs there's no radios you know you're putting the kids to sleep and you're just sitting there reading this this chunk of words and the more you read it the more you understand it and the more you you know consume it the more you like see the things that are you know and there's so many ways they're open-ended right like the beauty th the beautiful thing about stories and literature in general is that the, the reader becomes the producer right like so um if you watch a movie um for example you know you're not doing anything you're a passive uh you know um witness of someone else's production someone else's interpretation of a story they give it to you so there's no it's all passive you know and the thing about poetry is you're you're the one painting the pictures in your mind or someone's painting them but they're developing in your mind and then you need to start to interpret it and uh um and that's the the best part of literature in general man is like being a participant 
in this formation of words, right? Like in this creation, you are actually part of the creation or you are a creator within the creation. So anyways, man, I don't think poetry is dead. I think it is very hard. It is, it does take very intricate, uh, um, you know, touch um, to, to choose the right words, um, to choose the right form. And uh, yeah, to leave enough space for the reader to be able to engage with you right so this is the beauty of poetry is like you're leaving games you're leaving experiences you're leaving um ideas uh in the world for other people to pick up one day and uh well make a creation out of it make something of it right so um yeah man like do you think poetry is dead well one of the ways that i teach poetry is i usually i, I say look i'm about to show you this this ballad from 1921 uh, 1921 and it's written by this uh english poet and it's really powerful stuff and then i put on the board um kanye west's uh homecoming right and then i i, I read that out to them and and we get to we talk about it and so like this is really impactful look at the language uh so i basically just tricked them and then um we do an, a little bit of an analysis basically or what it will what do you see and then i show them it's actually kanye west's homecoming and they're like what you know and some of them pick up on it and some of, a lot of them don't uh but for, to show them that connection like is poetry um is it really dead what what are artists using you know whether you're a rapper or you're writing songs like how is that you know language playful and uh experimental and and beautiful uh and you know, just showing them that, well, maybe poetry isn't as disconnected from you as you think it is. Maybe, maybe you think it's something, but really it's, it's not as um, separated from you as you might assume it is. So I, that's, that's like our first introductory lesson to poetry. Um, but, you know, I, I also love what you said too, about you know, poetry was something shared to be shared around a campfire, shared around in the family home, shared uh, like in oral tradition. And um in a much slower paced life where the craftsmanship of words were maybe appreciated uh, in that way, where it's, it's kind of like, there's so much consumption right now. It's, it's being lost definitely, but you know, it's, it's a different world we live in. And I think, mm, I think that I teach it in my ninth grade and I'm teaching it with my 11th grade students now. And I think, I think they, they can gain, gain a perspective from it. Um, and it's, I think it's something that, you know, as a, as an individual can enrich in your life. So, you know, I don't think, do you need poetry to have a better, have a, a good life? No, but I think it's definitely a, it's a, it's a nice little um, it's, it's a nice little cultural, like, I don't know, cultural like bonus, or it's just another little thing to appreciate if you, if you can give it that time. So are we going to listen to this poem uh, and, and we'll talk about this poem in particular today? What's, what's your plan? Yeah, so, um, you know, we we're talking about uh, ways to communicate with other people and to express deep feelings. And um, uh, we've chosen, um, I've chosen a poem. So for an example of a poem, um, uh, a form, you know, a poem that is written in form, uh, uh, I was thinking Dylan Thomas's um, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Um, it's kind of a, you know, it's a very... I think uh, could be considered a very emotional poem. Um, but like I said, you know, people have a deep need to be express themselves, the way they feel about things and their experiences. So yeah, uh, Dylan Thomas um, was a poet, 
1914. Um, he had, a, unfortunately, a short life, which is kind of ironic um, when you think of this poem. And we'll get into the details of the poem here shortly. But um, Dylan Thomas is a very respected poet. I don't know if you guys know who Bob Dylan is, but uh, his real name, Bob Dylan, was Robert Zimmerman. And he created the stage name Bob Dylan based on Dylan Thomas. He was a huge fan of Dylan Thomas and uh, he needed a stage name, right? Uh, his name was Robert, so he just went Bob and he covered his last name Zimmerman with Dylan, which is an uh, attribute to Dylan Thomas, which is the poem uh, we'll be reading his poem today. Um, so, so yeah, man. Um, yeah, let's, uh, I guess we can start by, um, well, do you have anything you want to add? Do you want to start, just read the poem? Um, would you like me to read the poem? Um, yeah, well, it's going to, maybe the only thing I can add um, is that it seems to be that he wrote this poem in like two, he, the, the narrator wrote, well, the narrator is addressing his father that's terminally ill uh, and sick. And he's, and he's saying to him, but you know, the, the poem is called do not go gentle into that good, into that good night. Uh, and yeah, he's dedicating the poem to him because he doesn't want his father to die and, and uh, to, to not going into that good night is, is obviously a metaphor for, for dying and death. Um, well, how about we, we play it on the YouTube, John, and then see how you feel about it. And then if you, if you don't like it on the YouTube, and then we'll read it out and then we can always modify it in the, in the final version of this later. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, we can go ahead and listen to it um, and see how it goes. Who's going to be the reader? Will it be Dylan Thomas himself? I believe it or... is. Yeah, I believe it is. It's, okay. it's, yeah, this version says, Dylan Thomas reads, do not go gentle into that good night. So here it is. Yeah, let's listen. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight, and learn too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height. Curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Yep, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. And I really actually enjoy the fact that it was him reading it, you know, like it's, I think that's special to be able to hear his, uh, him read his own creation, right? Um, but uh, yeah, man, what do you think about the reading? Well, to be honest, I couldn't hear it on my end because uh, YouTube was being weird. 
but um, <laughs> but I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. Um, but I do agree with that. You know, when a poet reads his own poetry, it's it's kind of like he's reading it with the the intentionality of what he or she planned planned to express. So you have the tone of the poem, which is in the words, but also uh, the tone of the of the poem expressed through his um, the tone of the voice, right? So that's that is something there that's that is powerful. Yeah, man, it's uh, absolutely the tone, the rhythm, the meter, right? It all plays into um, this topic of, um, uh, well, death, right? Have you ever heard this poem? Have you heard it before, Stephen? Like, I, have I heard it being read? By him, yeah. No, that, that was the first time. Yeah, well, that was oh, meant to man. be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really, you really need to hear it, man, because it's it's so vital that you actually hear the meter, right? Like uh, the the tempo, the meter. Um, here, let me. Do you mind if I read it really quick? Yeah. Well, why don't you do that? That sounds great. Let me um open up the poem. I'll, I'll yeah. do my best to emulate, but his voice was very course now notice he died in 53 right so his life was literally it was only 40 39 yeah 39 years of life and he sounds so old in this poem and i'm not sure if he, he was already sick um because he had a short life so i don't know if he was already sick or if he was doing it for the the the, the tone the the audio tone and the tone of the the poem so let me try, man, to do my best. But remember, poetry is can be difficult to read because it is in meter, right? There is rhyme um, and meter and rhythm and et cetera. So, uh, so here's um, John's reading of Dylan Thomas's Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end, no dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning day, do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay, Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on that sad height, curse, bless me now with your fear tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So that was my best rendition. Uh, I did listen to it. Uh, well, I listened to it twice because I really, you know, reading a Villanelle can be quite, well, any poem, any, uh, any form, right? Uh, uh, is, it can be difficult because it's meant to have a musical 
aspect to it. It's meant to carry the emotion with it. And so I listened to it twice and I was like, holy cow, just the way he read it changed my interpretation of it, right? It's very sorrowful. Um, and it's also very musical and beautiful, you know? Um, it starts with, um, you know, the opening stanza um, is a three-line uh, stanza and it, and it creates the refrain, which becomes the um, theme uh, of the poem. Um, and the refrain is, of course, the title of the poem, that's one frame, do not go gentle into that good night. And then the other refrain is rage, rage against the dying of the light. And then you see from stanza to stanza, he switches back and forth and repeats those refrains. But it's very beautiful. It's obviously, uh, what is he trying to say? That is now the next thing. So we know that the topic is about, well, do not go gentle into that good night, right? Um, and to fight. So we know it's about death. Um, and um, I believe it's about struggling, obviously, against death. Um, so I think it's a very beautiful poem. I think it's kind of sad, a little bit depressing, um, but it's beautiful. You know, like, um, <laughs> yeah. So well, let let's me ask, go into that. Let me ask you this, like the tone of the poem you feel like it's 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 more of a sorrowful kind of like uh, you know he, this acceptance of of pain like when when you hear it what what is the main emotion that you hear when he's reading it well for me you know it's it's kind of like melancholic i i don't want to i don't i don't want to say heartbreaking but it, it kind of is right like because First of all, we're talking about death, right? And he's obviously the tone of his voice is very sorrowful, right? And then if you break into the words and we start looking at some of the symbols going on and and those, of course, the theme, the two refrains that I said, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a sorrowful, sorrowful uh, tone. And yeah. I think that is part of it. Um, notice in the first refrain, do not go gentle into that good night it's kind of uh ironic right like i mean it doesn't yes. when we use the word good good night it is one of peace right good night means sleep well relax uh we use the word good right but he starts the refrain by saying do not go gentle so it's very interesting it's a very I like that line a lot. So it's like saying, do not go gentle into your sleep, which is really uh, quite awkward, right? That's something we wouldn't say to someone. Um, so go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, I agree. Cause that's like the good night being the metaphor there for death. It's, it's, it's using like a juxtaposition to say, you know, instead of death being something that, well, might be a good night. It's obviously something that's like you said, positive uh, could be, a sense of peace and and closure maybe um you know relinquishing control and then but the good night is as as permanent closure of 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 death and never opening your eyes ever again um maybe when he wrote this poem that he had his father had already passed away and, and i i do it i agree with what you said it could be a bit ironic because do not go gentle into that good night it, it, for me when i read it it has a bit of a rebellious tone you know in the sense of you need to fight against the 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 to death and the closure of life you need to hold on to that life which is precious but maybe after he he already wrote it and he's 
father had passed and he was very sorrowful and, and um, quite, he was maybe shattered completely, you know, um, completely just, yeah, just emotionally shattered that, you know, his, his father had already passed. So, but I feel like it's, it's, this is a message of, um, you know, when it says old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Uh, so it doesn't matter how old you are, you should, you should still fight against um, the, the closure of, of life and light and to, to merge into that, to, to, to prevent um, the merging into the good night. And it says rage, rage, you know, rage, I guess, is another metaphor for to fight against it, um, against the dying of the light and the light being, you know, consciousness of being life itself. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very powerful. Uh, and it's, it's, it's got some nice metaphors embedded in it without being too overly complicated. You can just feel it being very impactful. Second, uh, you know, the thing about, yeah. yeah, uh, well, I, can you, I do think that it's really, so poetry, there's no mistakes. Uh, typically there shouldn't be any mistakes. Uh, it's been, mulled over, revisioned, revised over and over again. And the words, each individual word is so important. Uh, and you mentioned rebellion. I mean, let's not leave the first stanza yet because this is what sets the tone. This is what sets the theme. This is the, you know, this is the guiding light, no pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, so in this, his two refrains, okay? So the first and third line, do not go gentle into that good night. You said the good night is like the closure, right? And we think of that like as one particular day, right? Like in the literal sense, good night is one day. And a day is short, right? A day is short and there should be more that follow. But uh, he uses good night and I agree with you, I believe to represent death. Now the third line, which is the second refrain, uh, yeah, speaks of his rebellion. You use the word rebellion and of course, that's what he's talking about. He chose the word rage and he said it twice, not once. So he's really, I think personally, right? If every word matters, why does he need to use two? Uh, repetition is, you know, uh, it, it just says this is important. And he's saying, yes, rage against the dying of the light. So the dying of the light is also every day, which is a short unit of time. Um, but uh, the dying of the light is, I think, his second metaphor for death, right? So we have two metaphors for death right away. We have this sense of rebellion. rebellion. Do not go gentle. Struggle. Fight. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Rebellion. Struggle. Fight, right? So this is this is the way I take the first stanza, and that's why I think it sets the tone for the whole piece and what's to come. Um, but so far we got, like, yeah, death with metaphor, good night, and dying of light. And then we have rebellion, do not go, and rage, rage against. So let's go on uh, to the second stanza. Um, I find this interesting, and he changes it up. Um, yeah, and yeah, so he's, let's uh, talk about this. So he has, though, though wise men at their end, no dark is right. Well, what does he mean by that? Like, wise men at their end do not... Uh, they know that dark is right. Yeah, because I, I think the first stanza he's addressing, if you're old, 
um, then you should still fight against death. And this why this stanza seems to address, you know, if you're aware and you're maybe if you're you're aware of how death works and regardless of your age, um, even though you might be consciously aware and you, you should still, he says, though wise men at the end, no dark is right. So maybe if you're aware and you know, you know, it's your time to go. Um, and he says, it's, this is an interesting stanza. He says, because their words had forked no lightning. This, I love this because for me, it says that maybe they're wise and they're aware, but they're thinking that um, their words or their actions, what they've done, their impact on the world, the lightning. It's, it's another metaphor, I think, for either knowledge, impact, um, effect, you know, causing a ripple. They haven't seemed to um, really made a difference. Uh, they don't go, he says, they do not go gentle into that good night because maybe there's some unfinished business or maybe they haven't uh, really made their impact, which makes death worse, right? What makes death, uh, I guess, maybe bittersweet or maybe just bitter. So there's kind of two things happening there. Wise men in the sense of, I think they're aware that death is coming, but also He's, he's saying that it's, it seems to be that the way that I'm interpreting it, it's that they haven't really made, uh, you're, you're dying without having, I don't know, what do you think that metaphor is for the lightning? They, their words had forked no lightning. What do you think that is? Uh, I love it, man. Um, yeah, so that one particularly uh, had forked no lightning. So like you said, uh, lightning is um, could be a metaphor for uh you know, uh, impact, um, shocking electric uh, transmission, right? Yeah. And I think that what it's saying, so um, is that, so I, I want to address line one of the second stanza, but I'll do it afterwards. But because their words had forked no lightning, they, I feel like it's that they, well, they're wise men, right? So let me go back. I got to So the wise men at their end no dark is right so we're obviously using night day light as a metaphor for life right because we're talking about old age and um and so i really believe that these are about life and death basically and they so it's saying though wise men know that death is right i believe that means like i mean who dies we all die right eventually everybody and everything dies so I think that wise men, like you said, are aware of the fact that everyone dies and that's normal, that's natural. That is, um, and, and, and so they accept it, but then there's this rebellion, right? There's this sense of rebellion amongst these wise men because their words did not have an impact <clears throat> or the impact they were hoping to. <clears throat> like you said, they have unfinished business, you know, and, uh, because of this desire to transmit and impact the world, these wise men, I believe, you know, they accept death, but they can't fully accept it, even though they understand, because wise men wanted to impact the world. They wanted to help the next generation. They wanted to, you know, use their words to either improve or reshape the world that they live in. Because wise men have such an understanding. I'm sure they can see the problems of the world. They can see a lot of things. And I feel like this inability to communicate their ideas 
because we're using words, right? Forked, they, uh, because their words had forked no lightning. Um, you know, it's very, I think it's just a shock to them, like that they didn't have the impact that they hoped for. But here comes the Reaper, right? Here comes the dying of the light. Um, and and faster, they, than, faster than you think. Yes, and I think that is also a major theme in this poem. Uh, because of the way he uses good night, that's one day. Close of day, that's one day. And then dying of the light, right? That, well, every night, you know, uh, the light fades, right? Uh, so we're talking like a short period of time with the words that he chose, right? One night, one day. Um, it's very, very interesting. And I feel like, yeah, even though these wise men know we are going to die, for some reason, time just goes too fast. There's never enough time to really do uh, what you wanted to do or to reach your full potential, right? There's just not enough time. And I think these wise men struggle against that as death nears. And they're just like, why don't I have just one more day, you know, or a little bit more time. So that's the way I read that stanza. I think it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, forked no lightning is a beautiful metaphor. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I love it, man. It's good stuff, but it can be uh, confusing at times, right? We have to ask questions. Why? Um, no lightning, right? There, and why did he say their words, right? Why did he say not their actions, not their, you know, whatever? He chose these, this one word, words. And words are for communicate, communicating ideas, right? And so, um, uh, yeah, I feel like these wise men just felt like they weren't able to communicate their, their, their awareness, their true understanding. And that burns at the end of their life, you know, not being able to transmit that knowledge or that experience. Yeah, there definitely seems to be this uh, sense of regret because, you know, like you said, time is ephemeral. Time is um, uh, even the way that we, we, we think about time or we conceptualize time from the human experience. It's, it's very strange, you know, because time can move by quite quickly. And, and it seems like, you know, they, maybe they intellectualize or they can uh, understand, comprehend, that death is near uh, emotionally, you know, accepting it is, is, a, is a different level of understanding. So, yeah, and you're, you're right. It is lots of intentionality, especially it does say their words, not uh, their actions. And maybe that has to do with something of being wise and passing on information, inspiring, teaching, um, influencing, you know, being able to communicate that academic knowledge or power. Yeah, I think that's, it, it could be uh, along that kind of discourse. It's these poems are, there's a lot of power in them. And there's a lot of power there in the ambiguity, because, you know, it's kind of, you, I think your brain makes connections with the most with with what seems to be true, and right for you. And, and it kind of or it has maybe another way of seeing it, it has this kind of general overall, um, general or overarching or axiomatic truth, that just seems to permeate with it. He doesn't have to be too specific because it's like an overall axiomatic truth. So that's, that's super powerful. But I, I love what you said too. I, I love, I love the, the metaphor had forked no lightning um, mm -hmm. and lightning's temporary as well. You know, lightning strikes, it strikes hard and fast and then it goes away. Um, and then, you know, you, you've only got a few times maybe to strike. And then after that, well, you might not have that opportunity again.
Absolutely, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just had a thought about this, like wise men that see the world, they understand it, they see the situation, they have a sense of like zeitgeist, right, the problems of the day. And the thing I like what you said about it, poems in general is that they have this overarching axiomatic uh, um, uh, structure, right? It's, it's It shouldn't be too specific, because I think that this is a universal concept right of life and death and and then we're talking about time now there's more there's a lot of emphasis on time on unit of time right and i feel like you know for me for example as i'm older i wouldn't call myself wise at all but i i'm older and i'm experienced so i'm more aware of let's say time than because i'm closer to death than say my students right and this is one of these things that really hurts me and I, I know it sounds weird, but it's, it has nothing to do with this poem. Um, but this poem just brings it to light, right? I can connect with this. I see people wasting time around me all the time. And it's scary because death is so close. You, you know, Stephen, it just felt like what, we were at university, you know, or even high school, just like you know, 10 years ago, but actually it was like 30 years ago, you know, it's so it's like, or 25 years ago, time is so fleeting. And so th I think that people like, again, I'm not saying I'm wise, but I'm definitely uh, have a lot more understanding than the youth. And as a teacher, I can see kids just, oh man, what do we do with this time? Like all that time we play games or play on cell phones, like, you know, we're, that's it, man. It's an hourglass. We have an hourglass and all those bits of sand are, are opportunities at experience, right? But, but it's limited. It's finite. It's limited. And it's, it's, it becomes, I think this is what, it breaks my heart. And I think that any wise person would see the way the world goes and the distractions and the misdirections. And I think that would eventually eat at the soul. Right. Because you're just like, God, this is unfair. Time is so limited and people don't even get to know how limited it is. You know, I just, you know, we've been talking about this in my school, so I don't want to get into too much personal. But this is what I think Dylan Thomas is or sorry, the narrator, we should say the speaker of the poem uh, is trying to convey is that death is right because it's natural. It is coming. However, it's so heartbreaking that we cannot help each other understand that life is almost like one day and it's coming to a close. You know, the moment we're born, we're dying. And this is a very scary thought. Um, but I feel like if people knew that, they would choose the way they use their time better, right? But this is the paradox. This is the, this is the weird irony of this understanding of time so anyways sorry i had to let that out there man but like i just thought about people's use of time and it really is scary you know it's very scary well i think it connects well into the the, the thematic message or thematically of the poem because it's it seems to be it's like for me i feel like this inherent regret is like did you do what you were meant to do during that time you know, whether you were wise, whether you were good, whether you were wild, whether you were serious and, and focused, did you do um, and did you use your life in a way that you can feel satisfied that, you know, you can, you might be fighting death, but at least like that you can say, okay, if I go tomorrow, I know that I gave it my all. 
I was the person that I, the best version of myself that I could be. I'm satisfied in my, in what I accomplished. And there is no, there's no unfinished business that I feel regretful about. And I think a lot of us in society, we're not told how to pursue that. Uh, we're not told how to, to, to nourish that or um, even appreciate it. So we're not aware of it. Uh, and therefore, I guess what happens is we, we can spend a lot of our time maybe pursuing other things that aren't as, maybe aren't as fulfilling. And then, like you said, we get left with um, a bit of a void and might feel somewhat resentful or regretful or just freaking plain sad that we didn't get to do what we, we wanted to do. And, but the youth, I can understand because the youth, they, their brains are wired differently. Um, but I think we should inspire them. And I think a poem like this is a great poem to share with your students, John, uh, so that you can, the message, you can plant that seed in their, in their brains of, you know, like, uh, you know, is your life going to matter? You know, are you going to look back and you be satisfied? And how are you going to spend your time? And um, is it possible you could be regretful and, and have that conversation with your students? And I think that would be, you know, that, that would be a great way of addressing, uh, you know, addressing or just giving them that, um, planting the seeds there so they, they, can, um, they can do better. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's what I've, I've actually, I was thinking about just yesterday is that this is going to be uh, a poem that is read this year. Um, you know, in one of my classes, you know, it's the theme for the first unit is time management, right? It's time management. And uh, we've also gone into things about the limitations of time and how can we use this time. So we're already talking about this theme, right? This, this, this concept of time. And I always use that. And I've been using it for years. The hourglass metaphor that I brought to you, I use that to my, with my students and I have for three years now. And I, it's just like, I have this theme of time management and now I've changed, I have a new textbook and that's the opening chapter, right? So it's like, it's pretty cool. Um, and this is what I love about poetry. You see, we're talking, we've only read six lines of this poem and talked about the six lines. And there's so much going on already. And there's so many questions we can ask. So I say we move on to the next stanza. So we talked about wise men and their fighting against death. And now he talks about good men. So it's like, let's, let's just, uh, so let's read that stanza. So good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay they too fight against death, right? Uh, what do you make of this uh, first line? What, what is that last wave by crying how bright? That's a, this is a kind of a hard, I think, a, I mean, it's got to be a, is it literal? Are they waving their hands? Is it metaphoric? Is it like a wave of energy, a wave of the ocean, right? Um, and I mean, I guess with the following line, he uses the green bay, right? So possibly that first line, the, the wave, the last wave uh, is a metaphor for water, right? And you can say ocean, uh, time is an ocean, right? We've heard this before, time is an ocean. Um, it's unpredictable. It can be violent. Um, it can be calm. Um, so I, I like this metaphor. I'd like to look at it. So what do you think about that? Uh, just the word choice, right? So um, yeah, let's talk about the word choice. Yeah, I think that's great. And then to long story short, I'm going to say, I'm not sure. 
and I'm going to guess, and this is the part of poetry I think that can be fun because it's a, a process of discovery, discovery, and it's very explorative, explorative. Um, I, I think for me, it's it's not a, a literal wave, but maybe it's the wave of the ocean or the last wave of energy. Uh, it's it's the last last hooray. It's it's just that last opportunity or that last bit of life um, going by. Uh, that's what it seems to be for me, the last wave of energy cry, And it says crying how bright their frail deeds and frail deeds is very powerful too, because it's like, um, the, the tone there is a little bit critical or condescending, right? Their deeds aren't really impactful at all. They're just very overall weak or, or very, again, ephemeral, very temporal, uh, their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. And green bay is confusing too, because that could be a, a beautiful metaphor for maybe uh, somewhere for things to grow or somewhere to experience or somewhere to express. Um, maybe it's setting the stage of, of just uh, possible opportunities of, of, of boats being in a bay, being in a port, you know, boats being able to, to literally sail off. I don't know, to be honest. That I, I feel that this is the most confusing stanza for me but i feel like the the message is the regardless of how you incorporate um interpret it the message is very clear that even if you're a good man uh when you're on your last wave and you have your last wave of energy you might have found that your life um although you've done it you've lived a life of integrity you might have sacrificed uh, some opportunities for yourself and um, uh, regretful or, or remorseful of that and then as you rage rage against the dying of the light again you die maybe with unfinished business or without the opportunity to express yourself what, what else can we add to that john do you think well i really really i so i just this is like you said man. i have to repeat man this is the beauty of poetry look like as we speak and we exchange ideas it's so explorative like you said and it can mean other things right in the moment someone says something their interpretation you go oh whoa i didn't see that right so i really love it so that last wave by you said something their energy so like a wave is a surge right so it's a surge it's their last surge of energy uh and uh, crying how bright, right? So these people, th th this word crying, right? It's the sadness and how bright the light is, how beautiful, right? And But even these men, and there's th that line, frail deeds is so critical, right? Which brought me, and you said that, and it brought me back to the second stanza. And the wise men are so critical of themselves, aren't they? Or of their capabilities, right? So this is a new theme that I didn't see before, but it's this criticism. So we use rebellion, criticism, right? Um, and the, you know, their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. This is very confusing. Um, uh, you know, um, I'm not sure totally how to interpret it, but when I get to a place like this in poetry, I just start breaking things apart. Like I said, looking at every word and green, obviously, uh, well, green is a color that represents calm. Uh, it represents vegetation, uh, beauty, but most of all, calm serenity right and then we have this 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 body of water um which is quite interesting so this is like he uses wave which i think is 
it's it's referencing water, but I think it's that what you said, the surge, that last surge of life, that last glimmer of life, and it's fleeting, right? Um, and these two, like, why would he say frail deeds? That's like weak, unpotent actions, you know? And so even them, so he's being critical now of these good men, but he calls them good men. So even good men are, are, are missing the point, right? Or, or they're not able to achieve their goals. So I, yeah, this one is the most confusing. I wouldn't say the most confusing, but this one's pretty confusing for me, especially that frail deeds might've danced in a green bay, but I, I you got to read poems over and over again. You want to move to the next stanza and see if maybe something, you know, a revelation comes mm -hmm. <laughs> for what that frail uh, deeds might mean. Yeah, I do. But before I do, I want to say like uh, the, the emphasis that you place on particular words is so important because like you said, there's it's everything is intentional. Nothing is by coincidence. The good man, the good men, last wave, the bay, and the crying, you know, like there's, that is, is, is so sorrowful is so um, there's a, an element of sadness there and, and, and just maybe disappointment. I think it's remorse, you know, it's just pure remorse of, of being sad. And I think, you know, giving the poem that um, whether it's respect or the energy and time to think about those words are really important because, you know, I think you added a couple of nice layers to what I mentioned, you know, when you, when you spent some time um, digesting the, those important adjectives. Well, yeah, like you, you know, like you said, like the word choice is so vital in poetry and there's no mistakes typically, especially with these classical poems. And when you said Dickinson, Dickinson did never, she never mentions a bird, but she chooses the, the part of the bird. She chooses this thing, the feathers or feather, right? Which is just it's profound because it forces you well what else has feathers anyways i don't want to get into that that's a good poem for a different time but uh yeah it's a uh, words are power and it's so intentional in poetry it is so intentional these guys don't write the poem and publish it the next day they sit on it they look at it over and over again there's only so much space and time, which is kind of funny, right? Uh, no, uh, I'm not trying to make an analogy to the poem, but with poetry, time and space is limited. So everything you do, every word you choose should be intentional, right? And I think, I guess I will make this uh, allusion to this, is that this poem is talking about the same thing, right? This poem is talking about everything we do should be intentional. Um, and uh, there's still not enough time. So it's, it's, man, it's, I love poetry, man. I'm glad we're doing this. Uh, shit. So we got mm -hmm. wise men, we got good men, we got now wild men. So yeah, this is interesting. So we're, I want to talk about that later, but let's get into this stanza as quick as possible. So wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late, they grieved it's on its way they too do not go gentle into that good night wild men who are these men steven i need to know these I, men i wish i was one of these wild men <laughs> just be out all day partying and enjoying the sun um and letting their lives one thing that's very clear about these wild men is that obviously they're enjoying themselves so much i feel like all the single men out there 
um, that they're just time obviously passes a lot faster when you're having fun, right? And your perception of time changes and you're just, um, yeah, the years can wither away very, very quickly, right under your nose. Yeah, man, absolutely. And I love that you said these like partying, kind of carefree, careless. I, would, I don't want to use careless because that's, that's a different word. And this is important that I get my words right. But carefree, right? These people are carefree. And I would like to uh, take a moment to be uh, proper and woke. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking. Good luck but with that. Obviously, obviously, men includes all men okay which are all human okay so humans it can include women right so in most languages okay we if it's a group of people it just becomes the masculine like in spanish you know we say amigos which is masculine even when there's girls if there's one boy and five girls you're still going to say men right good men anyways I just want to say that because it's important that it's not just about men. I think he's talking to everybody in general because, you know, we had a mother, you know, everybody has a mother and you love your mother. So anyways, I just wanted to say that. But these carefree, you know, they caught and sang. So you see this happiness, this joy, this fun, this playfulness, right? This playfulness by these wild men, um, the sun in flight. So this is interesting, the sun in flight, right? So we have this light and then we have the word flight. And so flight, like you said, maybe is time passes so much quick, quicker when you're having fun. But also if we, we can look at the word in flight, and that means, and we use the word wild, right? So wild, when do we use wild? Well, wild has multiple meanings, right? It can be out of control, right? We can say out of control for wild and we use the word flight. So could he be saying like, even these people that have this fun life, they go from place to place, they travel the world, they have multiple partners, they're all over the place, getting as many experiences as they can they learn too late and they grieved it's on its way. So maybe, maybe this is just a thought, you guys. It's not the fact, you know, it's not, it's just my interpretation at the moment uh, that they realize too late. They've been running, playing, neglecting other parts of their life, right? Because uh, if you're in flight, if you're out and you're doing all these things, well, you're spending time often with people that, well, probably not your family, right? You don't go out and play wildly and flight with your family. So I, this just popped into my head because, you know, I stay home now, but for so many years, I neglected my family because I was chasing the world. I was chasing experiences. I was chasing women in good times. You know, I was, you know, chasing the sun. Uh, so that's kind of what I get. But again, um, this is so important this and they learn too late uh again critical of this type of person right like like i don't want to say like he's scorning them or anything but it's just an interesting line uh, i like what you said wild men out of control having fun though right it's a good time they had a good time so is life only about the fun good times well these wild men uh, seem not to think so because they learn 
too late. And when you're too late, I feel like there is that sorrow, that regret, that remorse that you were talking about of the way they spent their time, right? I mean, that's just my interpretation. And this thing about poetry is you have to be open to reconstruct that with your own experiences. As you gain experience, as we gain experience, we, we see things in a different light um, uh, throughout the ages or throughout our time. But that's my interpretation right now is that these people, these wild men had a lot of fun. Man, their life looks interesting, right? They were all over the place. They were laughing, they were singing. <gasps> but wait, they too one day wake up and say, holy shit, my time is limited. What have I done with my time? And they do not go gentle into that good night. Anything to add to that stanza, Mr. Steven? I think you're just totally projecting your own personal experiences on this particular stanza. <laughs> well, absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's what I think. You know, this is really, really important, actually. Uh, on the document, I did write... Uh, there's a theme, there's something happening here. And right now, um, these are, it's, these are generalizations, right? Hmm. Cause he doesn't name people specifically. He doesn't say, you know, those wall street brokers. He doesn't say anything like that. He's, he's talking about wise men in general, right. good men in general, wild men the, in general. This is the and beauty. This of... is so. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, this is so inviting to the reader. Like you said, I am projecting my own experiences upon this stanza, this whole poem. And I agree with you. I am. And that's because this poem allows you to do that. He's not naming particulars, right? He is very general. And he's inviting all of us in to see this experience of these people, you know? And could we be those people? Quite possibly, you know, I was wild at times in my life. And I said, I personally, from my personal experience, I have, I don't like the word regret or remorse, but I do, I'm going to use it, man. I do have some regrets about the way I spent my time when I was younger back in Alaska. You know, I was more interested with going out with friends, listening to live music, partying, having bonfires, having sex, whatever, uh, you know. And at that time in my life, it was, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go hang out with the family, with my cousins, all sit listening to Spanish music, eating Spanish food, playing dominoes. I didn't want to do that at that time for some reason, because I was wild. I didn't feel like I, I fit in, but dude, if I could take that back, I would never, I would have gone to the bar maybe once a month with friends to a bonfire or something, but I would have gone to all those dinners. I honestly would. I would have gone to 90% of those dinners that I skipped. I would have embraced those people because I love them so much. So time is fleeting, you know, and I think that's part of this poem's theme is how we use our time and that there's always going to be regret. Uh, it seems like so far everybody's regretting. So uh, anyways, that's the beauty of the poem. It's general. It invites us all in. Well, bro, it says here, and learn too late is that, you know, you learned. You know, that maybe that some of the potting stuff and it's, it's being young and being a, you know, being a young person, there's a process of maturity there to, to learn and understand the world and to grow. It's just, you know, I think that 
you know, this, this particular stanza, and although we're projecting our, you know, reality and our own experiences, and we all do that. And that's the beauty of these type of poems where you have that ambiguity, but there's also like an embedded axiomatic truth in them. You know, ultimately you did learn. And I think that's the process of, of maturity. So I, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself for, um, growing in that particular way or needing those experiences to take you through to your own personal journey of growth. I think that's part of humanity, but I think it's important that at some point in your life, when I say you generally speaking that we do learn and we, before it's too late, because I think if that you were 60 years old and, and still doing that and then sort of neglecting other relationships and families and not building and not creating a life of maybe what's important to you at, at this point, generally speaking, then maybe it would be like shit death is going to creep up on me. I, and have I done everything that I wanted to do? Hell no. And how do I feel about that? Like, well, like shit, remorseful, right? Because that time is, is gone. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, I think the, there's a, it's a little bit of a, a warning here of, you know, if you're wild, I think it's okay to be wild and experience that and grow up. But I think that somewhere down the track, whether it's 20, 30 or 40, maybe not 50 or 60, you know, that you want to kind of, um, you want to learn, establish an awareness of the world and prioritize what's important and what's meaningful and build that before time slips away. What do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ob yeah, obviously these these wild men, they're having a lot of fun, man, and and it, and we should too. I think fun is a necessity of a good life. You need to have fun. You need to be social. You need to get out there. But but this is the 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 warning, right? This is the warning that the narrator is giving us. He's like he tells us that they're having fun. He does. He uses these words that are exciting. They are embracing, they are joyful. So he uses that, but then he says, too late, they grieved it's on its way, which goes back to light, right? So all this light and darkness metaphors, it's amazing. The sun, uh, they grieved it on its way as it faded away, right? So, you know, there's a lot to it, man. There's a lot of, I mean, if we had a third or a fourth person here with us, we'd get even more chunky deliciousness right like we'd get other ideas other beliefs and, and then it would just flesh out our own um uh, so with that being said i think that poetry can be very nice for yourself but uh yeah kind of like verse kind of like verse or scripture i think it needs to be shared i think that's the intent that's the overall goal is this communication with each other right uh so i think that this poem i loved it reading it by myself five, six times, seven times, but reading it with you is so much better. It's better. It's helping me understand it more. It's giving me more insight, more, oh, I love it, dude. More colors, right? More sounds. This is good stuff. Um, so now we're getting like, as the poem moves on, here we are. And he chooses another group of men, right? So more generality, more invitation for all of us to participate in this discussion. And he talks about grave men, which is, which is an interesting choice of a word, right? Like literally grave could be, uh, well, let's talk about the two literal terms, right? So there's two, like grave is like a place of death, right? It's the place where we rest the, the deceased. Um, but when we couple it 
and it becomes an adjective, right? In this case, it's an adjective. Uh, it's describing these men. So grave could be what? Serious, could be staunch. Um, but you know what I mean? Why didn't he use the word serious? Why didn't he use the word uh, strict, right? Or disciplined? Or I think he chose the word grave very, very intentionally. And I love it. This is what I love about poetry. So yeah, grave men near death. So serious men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay, uh, happy, rage. They too rage, or they should rage against the dying of the light. Uh, so man, I don't know. Like, Can I just say something here? Um, this grave, yeah, this grave men perhaps is is even. I feel like it could be a, an allusion to Romeo and Juliet, where Mercutio, after being stabbed, says, "If you find me tomorrow, you'll 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 see that I'm a grave man." You know, with this pun of you know, grave meaning you know, serious and also one foot, well, basically dead. Um, so I, 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 when I read it, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if he's picked it from that." You know, in the sense of grave is in serious and then grave is also you know as a shakespeare illusion it might it might not be um but the other thing that i wanted to bring to your attention is that what i see now is a lot more um connections imagery when it comes to and the, and the metaphor uh metaphorical language of uh light i didn't realize there's so much of it like the sun in flight in that third in the stanza the previous stanza and this one it's like blinding sight blind eyes and light all in the one uh, stanza. So I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you keep going. Dude, man, that, it, it is. This is what I'm saying, man. This poem everywhere. is so amazing, dude. It, the light is everywhere. And obviously the darkness is too, right? Because darkness is the, 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 the sister of light or the brother of light. You know, it is the, the other side of it, right? It's the void of light. So like, yeah, man, it's wonderful. And I want to get to this stanza with blinding sight, but let's go through it, right? Like, let's start from line one, good night. So we're talking about the absence of light. Then we have day, there's light, and then light, and then dark is right, and lightning, and again, night, void of light. And then how bright their failed yeah. deeds, right? Danced in the light, sun in flight, right? And then the darkness, the sun is on its way. So it's like light, dark, light, dark, yeah. so light. There's a dark. juxtaposition like through the whole poem. Yep. Through the whole poem, man. Like, and this has to be planned, right? And it's mm. like, are these like, like, dude, I just had a random thought, but are these all the candles burning out? Are these all the people passing away? Like, because he keeps repeating, like, the light and the dark, the life and the death, the life and the death, right? Like, I don't know. That just came. That just popped in my head right yeah. now. Well, um, at church when you when you end. light, yeah, at church when you light like a, a little burning Roman candle for people, and then it burns and it burns and it burns. There's just Jack Kerouac. Um, he mentions it in in, in um, on the road. But that candle is a representation of life, right? And then it it eventually goes out and doesn't take too long. So yeah, I think that that light, whether it's a light of consciousness or a light of a candle or the light of um, awareness or the, the spark of life, uh, it's it's very very well embedded through the whole very through the whole poem, very well interwoven, very very powerful stuff. I agree, man. I love it. It's very good. Um, 
Man, so grave men. So they see with blinding sight. So these are serious men. And I love that it follows the wild men, right? But he's criticizing everybody. The, the narrator, I don't know if he's criticizing, but he's warning. He is warning and he is looking at the mistakes they're making or the way they use their life. But, you know, these serious men, they saw with blinding sight. I mean, this is crazy. So the word blinding, right? Uh, it's, it's an adjective here, right? Yeah, blinding sight. Um, it's like they're so serious that they're blind to the truth, right? They're, they're so serious. Uh, and they're missing the joy, right? So what type of life should you live? Should you live the wild man having fun, singing in the sun and possibly risking wasting too much time? Or should you live the grave man's life and be overly serious to the point where you don't see the goodness, right? The happiness. And because he says they see with blinding sight. So they see, but it's blinding them. And their blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay, right? So they could be happy, but they're way too serious, right? So again, blaze is, 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 is the, the light, right? It's the blazing of this light, this fire, this candle, um, and meteors burning through the sky, right? These people could be happy, but they were too serious. And them too, at some point, realize, I think, they realize also that they were too serious, possibly, right? Because they too should rage against the dying. So what do you, like, do you agree with me there? Like, what is the blinding sight, blind eyes, blind, and meteors, right? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a pretty solid inter interpretation. The only thing that I could, maybe an alternative one would be, that when they who see with the blinding sight, maybe they have um, a very a, a lot of confidence. Maybe they have a lot of confidence. Maybe they're very certain. Maybe they are. Um, maybe they're very focused and passionate. Uh, you know, or maybe the blinding sight could be they're just really uh, they're just quite happy and content with who they are. You know, so they, they see themselves with, a, with this blinding, this overconfidence or this, or this uh, ex extreme confidence. I'm not sure. It's, it's a little bit, it's very ambiguous. Um, and it says blind eyes could blaze like meteor meteors and be gay. And maybe they're blind like meteors because they're blind or they're, they're, they're burning with uh, light and life and the desire to live. Um, however, they are grave men. So maybe that's conflicting. Um, I'm not sure. Right. I think that it could be, it could be, yeah, it could be serious men that are still, still focused and, and want to hold on to that life and light because they have got things to do. But yeah, I think it Dude, could be interpreted I, both ways quite easily. I think so, man, but I, I, I don't know, man. Like I just read it while we're talking here and it says that these serious men close to death, they see with blinding sight. So it's clear to them that even their own blind eyes could have been happier, right? I mean, look, there's no period. It's, it's, it's one sentence. So these guys near death 
they now see with blinding sight, they can see it very clearly that blind eyes could blaze and be gay, right? So they're, I think this is a self-reckoning. I think they're seeing themselves near their death as having been too serious and not having played enough, right? Like the wild men. So like you said earlier, these wild men are not just absolutely wasting time. They're not just like, oblivious and totally like careless and carefree. Uh, they are still human beings that like to have fun. And it's followed by the opposite, right? The absolute opposite of those types of people are these very, very serious men who are very like, you know, they go to their job, they do the things, everything has to be done this way, this way, this way. But these guys all of a sudden are blinded by the light of reality that they've been so serious, right? Because it says that these men see that the blind eyes could, it was a possibility to be happy and not so serious, right? That's the way I read it, man. I think it's actually quite clear. Uh, but then again, I could be wrong. This is the thing about poetry. Like, I'll read it like a year from now. And because of my experiences, because of the moment, the environment around me, the person I'm talking to, I could have maybe a slightly different interpretation. But I mean, I don't think that there's any accident that grave men came directly after wild men. Yeah, right? I, I don't I don't think so. I think it was very intentional. And I think that the narrator is actually asking himself, right? What is more important to have fun or to be serious and get things done? Well, neither, neither. We all are going to die. We all have this same inescapable uh, situation coming near us. And we will all feel some sense of remorse, no matter what type of person we were, wise, good, wild, grave, doesn't matter. It's like, it's like our burden as humans is to, this limit of time makes us question the way we used our time, no matter who we are, right? Um, could I have said more to the youth or could I have communicated my wisdom better? Could I have done more in this world? Good, more, good men, weak uh, deeds, could I have done more deeds so they weren't so weak? Could I, could, could I have done stronger deeds? What kind of deeds could I have done to make my time better here on earth? You know, and then these serious men realizing it wasn't all that serious after all. What's serious? The only thing that's important is the limitation of time and what we do with it, right? And every, all these different people, different classes of people, this is basically all of us are invited to see our flaws, um, but also that it's the inevitability of what's to come. It's, it's crazy, man. This, holy cow, I love this poem. <laughs> well, I think that's a, <laughs> Sorry. I, I think that's a pretty strong analysis and I think it, it's better supported than mine. Um, yeah. So I think, I, I think we can go with that. Uh, and I think that, I don't know, sometimes as English teachers, one of the conversations that I have, can students be, can they be wrong? And sometimes I would say, yes, you can be wrong. If you have an interpretation and you don't have a solid sound reasoning and, and argument to justify it, well, I think it might be hard to support it. But let's say it's a little bit ambiguous, ambiguous, 
Uh, there's some ambiguity there, but I would say that, you know, you provide a pretty strong analysis. Yeah. And, and I think that there's, you know, no, no absolute right and wrong for sure. And uh, I was just giving, I, I just got really excited, man. I was like, no, 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 this is it. <laughs> Steven, I was just being grave. Okay. I was just being grave and uh, being influenced by this poem. Uh, so we've been talking about all these, these generalities, these, these archetypes of people, right? These different types of people that are all around us. We see them. We all know someone serious. We all know really playful, carefree people. Uh, we know good men, right? And we, well, you know, a lot of us know wise men because we respect them. We read them. Um, but this is one of my favorite parts of the poem. And this is where it gets not only depressing, but I feel like very personal, right? Um, so do you want to read this last stanza or, or do you sure. want to start dissecting it? Um, sure. Yeah, go. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears. I pray, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So what's different, what's different about this stanza? This is the last, the final, the closing stanza. What is different? What differences do you see in comparison to the previous uh, five? Yeah, because I love what you said before. It's like before it was kind of generalities and we're talking, you know, maybe addressing different types of, of uh, people and, and different types of characters. Archetypes is a good word. But then he's, he's kind of like he, the narrator's like processing it himself and looking at people. And then, like you said, he brings this super personal connection. And not only is it a personal connection, but it's something very raw and painful and real happening to him in this, well, let's say that the narrator is the author at the same time. Uh, so it's, it's extremely harrowing to look at your father or a parent and watch them wither away and fight against death and have a parent be on the precipice of death and wanting them to hang on. And I've had that experience and it's, it's extremely um, heartbreaking. So that pain to me is embedded here in that stanza. And you're looking at he's he says you my father there on the sad height so maybe being close to um being close to death um curse bless me now with your fierce tears right so that's super powerful curse me all right or, or bless curse bless you know so give me praise or curse me um as you fight with your, while you're probably in pain crying. Um, and he says, I pray, do not go gentle into that good night for God, for the love of God, for the love of, of me, uh, for the love of life, you know, fight, please, please fight against the dying of the light that you're about to take uh, away from me. So he's probably not thinking about, he's probably thinking a lot about himself uh, just as much he's thinking just about as much about himself as he's thinking about his father. So yeah, that's really powerful, man. Really powerful stuff. What do you think? Yeah, I love, I love it, man. And it really makes it like you said, personal. This is like, you know, we're standing from afar, 
so far in this poem, it's kind of open, it's ambiguous at times, we're not quite sure, but we do see this pattern of talking about life and death and darkness and different types of people. And then all of a sudden he says, and you, my father. And I think this brings, well, it brings me, I think it brings the reader uh, totally into this serious discussion, right? Because when he says, my father, we all have that. And I think it forces us to think of how close death is to all of us and all around us, our parents, right? He makes it specific. He goes from general and goes into the specific. He says, my father. You have to read those words and go, oh, what about my father? How's my father doing? Oh, where's my mother? How's she doing? You know, it, it forces the reader to now take this even more seriously, right? And on that sad height, he, like, it's interesting, right? He's talking to his, the narrator's talking to the father and he says, curse me, bless me with your fierce tear, I pray. Now he's not just, I mean, that that's the end of the sentence. So he's, he's begging, right? That's what that means, I pray, at the end of a sentence, is asking for. It is asking for his father on that sad height to curse him, to bless him now with this fierce tears, right? To judge him, to be critical of him, um, but not to be. Please, don't be critical. I want your love. I want your criticism. I want your anger. I want your happiness. I want all of you, father. You know, and this is... I don't know, man. I don't know. It's starting to come together, but this is a, it's just so radically different from the other uh, four previous stanzas, right? Um, and then it ends with a couplet um, at the end with the, the two refrains, um, uh, which kind of wraps it up tight, you know? But um, yeah, that sad height, I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about, that sad height. Uh, maybe that mountain of achievement, that mountain of life and experiences, you know, uh, that piling up of tasks and burdens throughout the life. Uh, but I just love that he's asking his father to both curse and bless. This is these are total opposites, right? And and he does this like with wild men and then grave men. He's using these opposites, right? These binaries, like light and dark and life and death. And man, cool stuff, buddy, cool stuff. So I, I'm still chewing on this one. I don't know, but I do want to say to everybody that this is, I love this poem right now more than I ever have. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite poems right now because there's just 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 so tight. It's so well woven, you know, with the metaphors, with the themes, with the symbols. Um, and there's so much like I feel like irony and um, man, irony. There's man, it just comes way more emotional at the end. You know, that's the the last. That's all he needs to say, man. And he's got me captured here. So yeah, I just, I'm just really impressed by this poem, man. It's, it's just the themes are so woven throughout every line. Everything was intentional, man. I'm super stoked. How do you feel about this poem overall, like Stephen? Because I know you've read quite a few poems and you've actually dissected them. But how do you feel? Do you consider this a great poem or do you just consider it a fun poem to play with or? 
Yeah, I think it's superhuman would be the way that I'd explain it is is superhuman. And it's, it's got a bit of insight there as well. Like it's he's he's sharing his pain. And he's sharing his suffering. And he's sharing, you know, like this, this idea of the the love of light and consciousness and life, something that is precious, and it connects to all of us. As you said, it's very general, but then when he connects it to his father, and that it becomes, in a way, very harrowing, because um, I feel like the sad height could be he's on the precipice of, of death, um, you know, and if he's he's has fierce tears, uh, you know, and he's, he's saying, please fight. So it becomes very raw. And I think one of the messages that come stand out to me is that everyone that you love at some stage will be taken away from you. Uh, and if it's, or you will at some point in your life, leave behind everybody that is currently in your life. And that is at some level, I think very, very sad, uh, because your light of consciousness and life will be forever extinguished. Um, and that's, that's a, a really harsh reality for, for a lot of us to, 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 to accept and to even to contemplate. So death is not something that I feel very comfortable with. Um, but I, it definitely brings death into the forefront. And I think it should allow you a space to reflect and think, well, wh what is my life? And is it meaningful? Is it, is it as precious? Is it, um, am I using it as, uh, and respecting its value as much as I should be, but, you know, obviously grammatically and lo logistically and structurally, it's, it's, as you said, I think it's, I agree. It's magnificent. Um, and the, I don't think it really, it, it's, it just creates this, although it has this rhyming scheme. Um, what is it like a B a it's, it's not super complicated. Um, but it just, as you said, it creates this really, um, there's like that anaphora, that repetition at the beginning of the sentences, epistrophe at the end, um, this repetition at the end of the sentences and nice symbols, but it just, it fits together very nicely. I think, like you said, it's really tight. I think that is the, the most simplest and eloquent way of describing the poem. It just, it's very um, poignant and, you know, impactful. Uh, it's very sharp. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's very impactful, man. So I think this is our, this is our first poem that we've analyzed together, John. So uh, yeah, I've been able to, to dig at it a little bit more. I didn't get to read it as many times as I wanted to and, and think about it over the week, but here with you in this space. And like you said, doing poetry with other people really allows you a space to digest it. Um, and it's, it's, it's way better, you know, when you're talking with poems, with, with friends and, family you know students because you can really just feel it out and that's beautiful so yeah man thanks for choosing this poem and um you know working with it with me yeah man it was it was fun this was real a lot of fun man it was a lot of fun i i you know this is like reinvigorating my love for poetry but like like you said at the beginning of this uh discussion is that uh it's scary sometimes. Poetry is scary. And I, you, you know, you sent me a link with a, a bunch of poems, right? It's like the 50 best poems or whatever. I forget. It doesn't matter. It was like the 50 great poems to read or something. And I was like, well, hey, 
you know, the Raven. Uh, <laughs> because I love Edgar Allan Poe. He's a great American poet. He is famous because he was a master craftsman. Um, and, and I know you studied him. So I was like, this would be perfect. Stephen can actually teach me. But dude, when I opened that link and I saw how many stanzas and how many words were on <laughs> that 18, page, yeah. I was scared bro i was scared i was like no no no, i can't can't let me put this away to, for to, for another time and i've read that poem a couple times throughout my life but not in a such a way where i could discuss it with you and start to pull apart the symbolism you know the metaphor the the intent the you know the different themes etc um so anyways man this one was nice and simple like you said it's a b uh, ABA all the way through, right? Until the last stanza. And then it is um, um, ABAA. Um, and this kind of reminds me of like the ending of a sonnet, right? Kind of not really, but that couplet at the end, um, that, that, that sharp uh, rhyme at the end. But yeah, one right. last thing I'd like to always, yeah, the, the Shakespearean couplet. The Shakespearean sonnet always ends with a couplet, and it's just a really nice way of closing the poem. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that some of the, 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 I don't have the right word right now, Stephen, I'm sorry, but some of the sadness and sorrow and irony and just like unfairness, uh, this poem, you know, is that Dylan Thomas's life was so short, man. This is crazy. He's, he died at 39 years old, right? And to be that young and to put together a poem so powerful, so well-written, so illuminating, right? Um, his life was so short. So it's like ironic, right? It's kind of like, it's weird, man. Like, it's just weird. A person that wrote such a masterful poem about time and, and the inevitability of death and how fleeting it is and remorse and regret and the pain and the suffering and the joy all wrapped up in 39 years, dude. Like, I was shocked when I saw that on this page. I had to do the math again just to make sure it was 39, not 49. But uh, I've got four years on him and I'm not proud or, uh, you know, happy about that. I'm just aware that he had four less years than I did. Um, and I'm sad that we lost him so early, but at the same time, think about what that did is, does to this poem. You know, it's just weird, man. It's weird. Yeah. It's I the last thing I, I just blown away. I think it's a good connection because I feel like maybe he was one of the, the wild men, you know, where he was experiencing life in the, in the wild boisterous, you know, uh, spontaneous way of, you know, a romantic poet and, you know, having lots of great times and, and in a, in a kind of destructive, really destructive way. But at the same time, really you know, like when you are, when you are in a kind of frenzy like that, you know, it's, you have all these crazy intensive, you know, experiences that, um, that's hard to be replicated with them or compared to the monotony of, of everyday life. Right. So uh, maybe he compared himself to the, he was the wild man. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's a good point. He, he died very young and his time was much shorter than it should have been. And it's kind of like, yeah, he's, his light was extinguished way, way quicker than it should have happened. Right. But I don't know how much of that was, 
lifestyle. I don't know how much of that was um, maybe, you know, in other kind of illnesses that he had. Uh, I'm not sure I have to, I'd have to do a bit of reading to really investigate him. And sometimes people have emotional traumatic, uh, tr like trauma and pain, and they, they use alcohol as self-medication, becomes addiction, get, things get out of control. Or it could have been like, you know, he, uh, he had some other health issues that he was a heavy drinker. And I, I think I read something like that. He had a few other things that were ailing him and um, the alcohol just made it, you know, exacerbated it and, and put him in the grave earlier, which is, it's a shame. He could have produced a lot more work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, that would be interesting to see. I, I was actually trying to Google real quick. Uh, uh, if his father, um, died before or after him, you know, so is he, man, I'm going to have to do some research. That's another fun thing about poetry is you got to know the context. It's good. The more, you know, about the individuals, uh, their experiences, um, you know, and, and their personal life experience, that journey, um, because I would find it very interesting if he died before his father, which is, there's a good chance of this. I'm just realizing if he died at 39, I mean, uh, there's a good chance that his father outlived him. So that would have to almost change the end of this poem, right? A little bit. It would have to change my interpretation. If his father outlived him, the, the, the last stanza would change for me. It would now be a calling for his father to judge him, um, but to love him and to understand him. Um, so it wouldn't be his father dying, right? It would be he's dying before his father. Um, and he's telling his dad, don't forget this, what I'm saying. Do not go gentle. Fight against old age. Continue on uh, without me, right? Like, so I don't know, man. Crazy stuff. But, man, I really, really enjoyed this. Now I feel like I have to do some research. And I'm going to ask you, do you think this is something that my students would enjoy? If, I mean, do you think I could make something out of this, like a unit of work and have them write a villanelle by themselves? Or do you think it's a little too much? I mean, I, I think that if you phrased it and framed it in the sense of, um, you know, how it mattered to them in the sense of like how much maybe you could like graph out you know, graph out how much time they think they have, you know, what, what the, what are their hopes and expectations, where that fits in, how many actual years they've got to live, how many days does that work out to be? How many months is it, you know, map it out and then kind of, well, and then, just, you know, and you, and then connected it that way. Do you realize you've only got X amount of days to live X amount of summers, right. And then kind of like reframing it that way where it kind of, ah, oh, well, actually it's not forever. Right. And then thinking about, okay, what would be the most important thing? You know, and then and then and then introducing the poem when you've done that front loading, uh, so they can understand the context. Then I think it would work, um, but it'd be harder with young kids because you young kids are just like ah, death. What is that? That's not, that's never going to happen to me. You're like I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to die. You know, I don't even know what I've only seen death in the movies, right? So it's not even real. So yeah. young people are detached from death, and they should be. You know, they should be because if they thought about death, they, they wouldn't be out, you know, doing all the risky, ridiculous, adventurous behavior that they need to do to spread their genes and explore and, and, um, you know, ha have partners and have children and, and create their own identity. So, you know, but could you do it? Yeah. It'd be, would it be tricky? Yeah. But with the right front loading, I believe you can teach anything. 
Yeah, I love what you just said about them. They should be oblivious to, to death and time. It's actually useful, right? It, I think that's so important, man. Like, I don't, maybe I shouldn't try to like push time management. I mean, I should, it's something they need to be aware of. But yeah, I think that's beautiful, Stephen, what you just said that they should be like, like I said, oblivious to death and time, because if they weren't, they wouldn't be as experimental. They wouldn't be as brightly shining, you know, they wouldn't take risks. They wouldn't, you know, and, and the world's changed by these people that take risks, right? Those are the people that really improve uh, in many ways our world, you know, they're, it, and they're fascinating characters, right? And they're people that are very admirable. So anyways, that was a great a great point. I just wanted to say that. Like, I, I don't want to forget that because you're right. You're absolutely correct about that. Like, uh, maybe we should wait till we're older to really start thinking about death. <laughs> <laughs> Old age. Yeah. Well, you don't want to, you know, like take away that, like, like you said, that that's that shining, that spark of life and then create this macabre, macabre, it's kind of like morbid. Um, yeah. You know, like a, this, this ominous sense of doom and doom and gloom, you know, but I guess it's something, yeah. yeah, it's, it's definitely something to be aware of. Um, and then, you know, and then later on as they mature, then, then they can come to realize that everything is meaningless and, <laughs> and believe in nihilism. <laughs> so, uh, that's yeah. part of the process, I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we can wrap this baby up, John. It was a, it was a real pleasure, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for chatting about this poem. I really enjoyed it as well. Thanks for your in insights. Uh, I, 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 hope some people got to the end of that and if they did i hope that they realized that you know if you can have a lot of fun with a bit of poetry if you dissect it and if you just connect to the heart to heart human emotion of it all and and think about you know how how it applies to you and how it applies to the world and, and maybe what its intention was and, and really get some enjoyment out of it yeah uh and just just to to tell you so i guess i uh, Dylan Thomas's father passed away 11 months before he did. So I just found that out. So Dylan Thomas did watch his father die. Um, and I just thought I'd clear, save you the time for researching it. Cause I pulled it up. Yeah. Okay. Then that, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah. Good to know. Because I, <laughs> I would have felt like his father would have passed away before I would have guessed. Uh, and I think that the, the pain and suffering that like of the tone that you were mentioning when he read out the poem was like him, expressing that as well like it's a little bit ironic he's saying don't die father and at the same time he's kind of like probably crushed with life and he's kind of given up himself right maybe his dad was the 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 life his inspiration and when his dad died he was like fuck this shit and um you know he died 11 months after his dad died well then tells me that he probably wasn't able to deal with the grief and the loss of his father very well yeah i i, I think that there's a good chance of that um it says he died by pneumonia and poor oxygen supply. Well, that kind of stuff could happen for a variety of reasons. But I, I by the, the poem itself, I think he was really tormented by his father's passing, yeah. uh, for sure. Like, I think he loved his father um, a lot. And then his, watching his father die, you know, and realizing, well that he was losing his father, you know, maybe his best friend, maybe they didn't have good times. We had some fights. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I'm kind of fascinated by this guy now. 
Okay, John, well, let's wrap this baby up. Again, thank you very much for, for being here. I really appreciate it. Great conversation, lots of great ideas, good thematic exploration. Hopefully we inspired some people to listen to poetry. And um, yeah, as always, man, great chatting and let's do this again soon. Yeah, thank you, man, for having me and uh, for experiment or experiencing this with me. It was a good time. Till next time, my friend. Till next time. Adios. The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others.